Marini's Media. Totally Football Show, summer special. For the next two weeks, coming at you daily with the climax of the Champions and Europa League's 28 teams, two cups. Today, Europa League last 16, Man United through, Intergate tough with Getafe, Basaksha here, no longer here, and all the rest of the first day's verdicts. We'll also have the latest on transfers and look ahead to the weekend's Champions League action and much more in this Totally Football Show summer special in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener, thanks for joining us. Hope you're feeling summary. I know I am after a busy night of Europa League action in the company of Alvaro Romeo. Hola, Alvaro. Hola. And James Horncastle, too. Hello. I, Alvaro is in Greece. I was wondering, I, I'm so ignorant. How do you say hello or good evening in Greek? Kalispera. Very good, James. Go. Did you say yeah. Ella and Kalispera? There you go. Ella is hello. Kalispera is good afternoon. Good. Or Kali Nikta for, you know, the end of the day. We'll move on, listener, right? Did you know, Alvaro and James, that the last eight Europa Leagues have been won by either an English or a Spanish club? I feel like I did know that because mm. Germany hasn't had a winner since Schalke's Eurofighters right. in, what, the mid-90s where Roy Hodgson annoyed Javier Zanetti, which is yeah. practically impossible to do. And Italy hasn't had a winner since Palmer in 1999. And yeah, and France is still looking for a champion. Uh, yeah. I believe that they have never won the UEFA Cup or the Europa League. I enjoy that you said that whilst Julien Laurence is off. Let's uh, let's really make a lot of about that. What France have only had one European Cup winner, um, which was Marseille back in the day. Back in the day, and you know we all know what asterisks might go along alongside that achievement. Among Italy's past winners, of course, are Inter which is handy because they're in action this evening. Are they potential winners this time around? Well, we've just seen them beating Getafe 2-0 in Gelsenkirchen. Alvaro, as someone who doesn't see the Nerazzurri quite as much as Mr Horncastle there, what did you make of Antonio Conte's team? Well, I think that they, they were very impressive again, uh, playing from the back. Uh, the three men centre-back is working perfectly for them. Uh, then... I believe that they could match uh, Getafe's intensity, which I'm not surprised on. And Antonio Conte's team, and up front, uh, they've got much more firepower than any other team in the Europa League. Maybe Manchester United is the only one with uh, so much talent. Lautaro, Lukaku, Christian Eriksen came in the second half. That tells you a lot about uh, the depth in Inter Milan. And I was very positively um, impressed by Inter Milan. It's no coincidence that they have uh, collected more than 80 points in Serie A. Right. And Sanchez are being added on a permanent basis to that uh, firepower up front as of tomorrow. Is that right, James? Yeah, uh, expected to be made official tomorrow morning. Still seeking to understand whether there is some kind of a settlement between United and Alexis, because as far as I understand it, um, Inter will not be taking on all of his wages. Um, they'll be paying him uh, 7 million euro a year for the next three years, which is around about half what he was getting paid per season um, at Old Trafford. Um, but yeah, just to pick up on what Alvaro was saying, Sanchez, who had a really good end to the season for Inter, uh, was involved in in 10 goals in his last 12 games. He came off the bench in this one too. So, you know, for all Conte complains that this squad doesn't have depth um, when he can call upon Ericsson to come off the bench and score and Sanchez to come off the bench too. I think, again, it, it, it does kind of 
reinforce this belief that at least on paper Inter should be a contender for this and should being on the side of the draw that they're at um, reach the final Lukaku scoring his 30th of the season after a slightly nervy first half uh, mm. for the or first half half hour for the Nerazzurri and then uh, Christian Eriksson only about 60 seconds after coming on uh, in the second half making it 2-0 Getafe the team who had knocked out Ajax uh, previously Alvaro but they've kind of lost their way since then is that fair Yes, I think that the lockdown didn't have any positive effect on Getafe uh, because they were in a great run and that was something that um, it was very fragile because Getafe doesn't have a big squad and I believe that all the players were giving their best and suddenly you chop that off and uh, you come back in June and uh, you are on the same team. You are the team that you should be according to the quality of your players. And uh, since the lockdown in the league, Getafe won only one league game out of 11. And uh, they played very well against the big teams, surprisingly, like, for example, against Real Madrid. And I think that uh, Bordalas today wanted to make a similar tactic to what he did to Real Madrid, playing with five midfielders. And that worked for 30 minutes until Romelu Lukaku had his favorite um, possible action in front of him. Partito Lukaku, la palla per lui. Attenzione a Lukaku, le lascia sfilare va contro Cheita, duellare in area di rigore Lukaku gira e trova il gol del 1-0 sono 30 in stagione per Romelu Lukaku alla prima palla buona non sbaglia in front of a light defender like Cheita marking him laterally Lukaku scored and from that moment Getafe tried really hard in fact they had a penalty in the second half but Jorge Molina failed in a spectacular fashion I would say for a man of his age as well because he's uh, needing the 40 years old and uh, after that Inter when they scored the second goal uh, it was pretty much game over for Getafe but anyway uh, it's been a great season for Bordalas men and I believe that uh, if they can build up from this and learn from these from these mistakes next season they will be competitive again all right as for Inter who did Antonio Conte complain about after the uh, final whistle James well, he hasn't appeared in front of the cameras yet, James, so still waiting to find out. But uh, he did walk his comments back from the weekend. Um, right. Uh, a rather yesterday. delicate build-up to this game, but with uh, some suggestions that he'd gone far enough to even jeopardise his, his his future with the club after his uh, comments, as you say, from the weekend. Yes, and uh, he put out a statement um, to one of the Italian newswires yesterday saying that, look, I've got a three-year contract um, I'm not going to stop until we're successful here and success means winning something. Um, he had a conversation, uh, I'm led to believe, with uh, the president, Stephen Zhang, um, who's still in his 20s, still in China, as Conte pointed out, um, at the weekend after the, the, the win against Atlanta in Bergamo. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. I mean, I was, you know, after the first 20 minutes, it looked awkward for Inter. I didn't think they played well. I thought Handanovic kept them in the game up to that point um, you know I was already thinking uh, if it to go out tonight what are the repercussions going to be um, are they going to have this uh, big get together this big uh, crisis meeting because Conte certainly hasn't given the impression that he is happy and satisfied with the way things have been going at Inter despite them having the best uh, points tally since the treble, uh, finishing second something that they haven't done since 2011 doing a lot of really good things you know having um, the best defence in the league, having lost fewer games than anyone in Serie A. But uh, we'll have to see. I think, obviously, that's been postponed by tonight's uh, win. And uh, we'll have to see what happens in the in the remainder of this competition and whether they win it. Because Inter have a great history in this competition. And 
It'd be good if an Italian side could end that long drought that we were talking about earlier. Well, they'll be facing in the last eight then the team that goes through from the Bayer Leverkusen Rangers tie. Leverkusen, of course, 3-1 up from the first leg of that in Glasgow way back in March. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see that unrivaled coverage of each and every Premier League club by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. Also on Wednesday, Man United squeaked past Lask of Linz. Uh, 7-1 on aggregate. Of course, it was 5-0 from the away leg and 2-1 on the night at Old Trafford with a sensational opening goal from the visitors, uh, courtesy of Weisinger, who also had a part to play in Man United's equaliser, which was Jesse Lingard. Uh, Laurie Whitwell, who was actually there and watching all of this, joins us now on the line. Hi, Laurie. Hi, guys. Okay. Yeah, very well. So um, how was this performance from Man United uh, in terms of getting them ready for the last eight? I think it was a case of getting some of the fringe players involved who obviously haven't been playing in the Premier League with Solskjaer you know, using his full strength side as they chase that Champions League play. So getting a few players like that, so Fred, um, Scott McTominay, Jesse Lingard again, Juan Mata, Odin Agarlo, getting those guys a few games. Harry Maguire played again, uh, I think it's 59th game of the season. I think he's one of those players that just demands to play every every game. Solskjaer mentioned uh, before the game that he's got a few players that are sort of chewing his ear off trying to trying to get on. Um, so th- in that regard, I think it was a fair enough um, you know uh, way for players to get a bit of minutes in their legs. I'm perhaps surprised that not, not more younger players play, but Ted Mengi came on for his debut, 18-year-old defender, first um, time that he's played for United, and um, that's the eighth academy player that Solskjaer has given a debut to this season, which is the most since the Busby Babes. Um, so yeah, I think it was kind of, it worked, it, it was a bit of a stilted performance, um, but you know, ultimately they, they kind of clicked and, and won the tie, and I think it's fair enough that now he'll he'll bring in his A-listers, I suppose, for for uh, Monday's game against Copenhagen. Mm. That Jesse Lingard goal has that been credited to him or as an own goal now? I would have, I would give it out to Lingard. I mean, I know that he's he's dallied quite a lot, and I I know he's talking about more confidence that he's got to that. You know, not since, but that that goal at Leicester's helped him with a bit of confidence, and he's but he still seemed to dally with it. It was a good ball from Mata. Had a lot of time to think about it, and he seemed to take a while. But I think he got his shot away just in time before um, the defender came across and, and got the nick. So I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm more inclined to give that to Lingard than an own goal. Okay, in which case that's two now. In two for him. What a way to finish off his United career, if that indeed is what's happening. How well do you think Man United are set? How much do you think they're going to do justice to their status as favourites for this competition? I think I think they're, they're decent. I mean, funnily enough, after the game, the the sort of the first team squad pretty much came out and, and did like a session, uh, which is not unusual, I suppose. But it was quite a, an intense session and, and quite a lot of shooting involved. And so you had. Uh, McKenna playing with um, Aaron Wambasaka and uh, Ethan Laird on the right, and, and then Michael Carrick setting up um, Rashford, Marshall, Bruno um, in the middle for sort of shots. So clearly they're thinking, right, let's get these guys out there again. Let's get them, you know, get the blood pumping um, ahead of uh, Monday's game. So I, I think that'll be a case that they're sort of in, in decent nick. They're clearly not, you know, too fatigued from from all those games in quick succession. I know some of the performances probably did underwhelm um, towards the end of the season, but I, I don't know. I feel like they're They've got enough energy in their legs for you know three games if they are to make the final um, in eleven days in, in Germany. Um, so I, I think they should really. I mean Copenhagen, they're, they're a, a fairly um, you know average side really for for this stage of the Europa League, first time in the quarterfinals in Europe. So really, United should be 
dismissing them fairly straightforwardly if, I, if I'm not sort of counting my chickens too much. Obviously, the semi-final will be a bit more difficult, and then you know the final could could be against Inter, couldn't it? With um, with, with you know uh, potentially Alexis Sanchez now he's made his move permanent. So um, yeah, I, I suppose that's probably the only thing. You know, if you if you look at those teams, that they, they could provide a, a bit of a, an issue, but you know certainly semi-finals at least for United. Right, could be Wolves in the semi. Could be Inter in the final. What an exciting tournament awaits. Laurie, thank you so much for joining us this evening and speak to you again soon. Thanks for having me. See you later. Laurie Whitwell, who was watching that game, of course, for The Athletic, uh, describing Copenhagen as an average team. Is that fair? Could they be a stumbling block for United and a one-off tie? Ask Luke Williams, who says they looked impressive on the break tonight, referring to their 3-0 victory on Wednesday evening over the Turkish, newly crowned Turkish champions, Basak Shahir. A couple of goals from Jonas Vind and then uh, Falke with the other one. Of course, Copenhagen also put out Celtic in the previous round, didn't they? That's my Copenhagen knowledge. <laughs> yes, and they were very impressive today. Uh, Vind was excellent. He not only scored the brace, but also he gave a, a very precious assist for Falke in the in the last goal of the game. And I think that they ran over uh, Istanbul very clearly, very clearly. And uh, from the first minute of the game, they started just putting a lot of pressure on the opponent. And uh, the first goal is a real joy to watch as well, switching the game from left to right, a great uh, cross from the right and an excellent uh, header from Bind. So I think that um, they are going to be dangerous. Uh, they've got uh, definitely a lot of passion. I don't know if that uh, means anything, but they are the first team from the Danish capital uh, that are through uh, to a European quarterfinal. And I guess that they will be pumped up because they've never been so far away in a European competition. So mm. why not? They've got nothing to lose against Manchester United. They've got a Norwegian manager, of course, Stella Solbach, and who just happened to be their manager also 14 years ago when they beat Man United in the Champions League group stages. Of course, it's an all-Norwegian gaffer derby, this one, with uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well. So that's nice. And am I right in thinking he could play against Wolves as well, a team he coached, as uh, if I'm not mistaken? Of course. So, but, um, yeah, Copenhagen actually a very quietly well-run club. Um, I know that... Um, yeah, certainly in the English language media, we've got a little bit um, excited about Micheland and how they're run and the the kind of synergy that they have with uh, with Brentford. But Copenhagen's sporting director has been poached by Villa. And if you look at some of the players that they've had over the years, um, uh, yeah, which, which have gone on to essentially play for teams in the sort of lower echelons of the top five leagues um yeah that's that's still pretty impressive so look on paper united should should win this game but um yeah i think for Copenhagen to get to a quarter final of this competition it, it does feel like it has been coming i would say for for a while very interesting. Well, also on Wednesday, Shakhtar Donetsk, always dark horses for any competition that they're in ever, uh, maintain that status as they dispatch Wolfsburg to qualify for the last eight at the Olympic Stadium in Kiev. It was a goalless for 89 minutes and then the host scored three in about as many minutes and left Wolfsburg looking very uh, sheepish. They will be facing either Basel or Frankfurt. Julian Marais, by the way, uh, with two goals in that game. Uh, he's now up to 25 for the season. 
This Friday night, two bitter rivals finally meet. A grudge match that's been months in the making. It started in the boardroom, then went to the courtroom. It's Man City and the Champions League. Yep, Man City are back in Europe, but here's a ruling that'll please all fans. Paddy Power have decided to give new and existing customers a £5 free bet on Friday's game versus Real Madrid. That's right, a £5 free bet on Man City v Real this Friday. Paddy Power. T's and C's apply. Online exclusive. New customers must deposit. One free £5 bet per customer. Opt-in required. Agent plus. BeGambleAware.org. This is the Totally Summer Special by the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Elsewhere in football, listener... A big congratulations to Fulham and people who like a pleasant walk through Bishop's Park because Tuesday night they sealed their place back in the Premier League with a 2-1 win over Brentford in the playoff final. Duncan Alexander points out that in each of Fulham's last two seasons in the Premier League, they've gone through three different managers and had the worst defence in the division and finished 19th. That's quite a remarkable run they're on. Hmm. Anyway, there's a new Totally Football League show all about that. So so uh, have a look for that and uh, they can uh, entertain you with their thoughts on that. Itself less than an entertaining game, but momentous, momentous event for uh, Fulham and Scott Parker. Elsewhere in football news, we hear that uh, Ika Casillas has retired, which kind of happened, Alvaro, I feel, last year, no, when he had that heart attack. Yeah, but he never announced his retirement. Uh... Unfortunately for him, uh, he didn't finish his career playing football, which is what a player of his caliber deserved. Because he's been uh, 22 years as a pro, uh, he has played more than a thousand players as a professional as well, and uh, he's got few records uh, under his belt. For example, in, in the international level, uh, he has kept 102 clean sheets, which is a record too. And uh, I have to say that uh, I was very lucky to witness his first ever game in the top flight because he played in San Mamés in Bilbao against Athletic. And uh, that day he didn't play particularly well. Uh, the reason why he played is because Real Madrid had no goalkeepers left in the squad. And the, the goalkeeper who was on the bench that day, Albano Bizarri, wasn't of the liking of uh, John Benjamin Tosak. And uh, his career has been phenomenal. Uh, Real Madrid has said in the statement that he... Iker Casillas was the club's best ever goalkeeper and in 16 years he won everything, five La Liga titles, three Champions League, uh, then he won in the international level with the Spanish national team everything, being the captain as well and uh, the only sad thing about Iker Casillas and Real Madrid is that he never left Real Madrid the way he would have wanted. Uh, I remember that he gave a statement in 2015 on his own. Uh, it's like the players and the club itself didn't endorse him uh, the day he said goodbye. Uh, and that was a real shame because he should have received the kind of farewell from Real Madrid that a player of this caliber deserved. Mm. Was he not rather frozen out by Jose Mourinho? Who I know it's not like Jose, but didn't Jose identify him as the mole in the dressing room? Yes, I think that Jose Mourinho hinted in a way that Iker Casillas was the mole, that uh, he was leaking information to his girlfriend, who was a reporter as well, Sara Carbonero. And uh, yeah, part of the ultras went, went against him, uh, shouting at him during the games, uh, partly because of his performances that weren't as good as they were in the past, partly because of his friendship with Xavi Hernández, uh, a player of Barcelona. And uh, yeah, I mean... Mourinho basically didn't like that Tiker Casillas put the interest of the Spanish national team over the interest of what he thought it was the interest of Real Madrid. And uh, that's why his last years at Real Madrid weren't good, then he lost the position to Carlos Navas as well. And yeah, it's a real shame that he left Real Madrid like that, but he will be remembered as a legend. Right, and 
better relations now, I believe, between him and the club. Uh, Alvaro, let's quickly get your verdicts on a couple of uh, transfer figures. Uh, Ferran Torres, for a start, who's come to Man City, and I think 20.1 million, is that right, the figure? Is that a good figure for Man City? Doesn't sound a particularly good one for Valencia. And is it true that, like Ferran says, that he only left Valencia because they wouldn't give him the captain's armband and he wanted it and he's 20 years old? I read an interview with Ferran Torres and he, the first thing he said is that he didn't like Dani Parejo at all, the captain of Valencia. He said that he, he wasn't happy with, with the way he welcomed him and uh, that for the first like two or three months he didn't even say good morning to him. So he was very acid towards uh, a Valencia legend as well, which was a little bit weird. And uh, when it comes to the price tag, I mean, 25 million euro for a player of his youth is nothing for Manchester City. I think Valencia should have pushed for a better price because normally these kind of players currently the way the market is, uh, they should be worth 40 million or more. So I think that Valencia has done a terrible business. And if this signing is a flop for Manchester City because Ferran Torres doesn't live up to the expectations, at least they would have paid 25 million, which is a bargain anyway. It's a price that is definitely uh, a price of 2015. Do you think he'll be a flop? Uh, I think that he... He's a player who has many things to polish, to improve his numbers, his statistics. But when it comes to playing for Pep Guardiola, I think that he can deliver what Guardiola is asking for because he always plays uh, next to the line. Uh, he is a decent dribbler and uh, he understands very well the you know the positioning, the collective game. But I think that he has to improve his stats a lot because uh, he has never, for example, hit double figures. And uh, obviously at Manchester City, if you don't hit double figures or if you are not nowhere near there, uh, the likes of Sterling or Marez, uh, they are going to play ahead of you for sure. Uh, also on their way potentially from the Liga to the Premier League is Sergio Reguilón uh, of Real Madrid. Although I've not seen him much, Alvaro, have you? And is he a bit of a bargain at the supposed 20 million that they're, they're looking yes, at paying? Yes, as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny how the fourth team in La Liga, like Sevilla, cannot compete for a second uh, financially with the fourth team in Premier League, which is Chelsea. If Chelsea mm. makes an offer for Reguilón and... Uh, Sevilla does another one. Chelsea is going to get the player because they will pay more and they will pay more money as well. What will they be getting? Mm, they will be getting a player um, with a, a lot of physicality. He loves to attack. He loves to attack. And uh, I think that his defensive uh, ability is quite decent as well. Uh, but maybe he should be more... Let's say he should capitalize more. He's attacking. I believe that his crossing can improve. But still, he's a young player, and at Real Madrid last season he was very impressive, and this season for Sevilla he's been probably the second best left back in La Liga. So, I believe that he's a very good, very good player for that price, and he's definitely better than Marcos Alonso, especially in a four-man defense. Well, from Reguilón to reggaeton now, actually, as Atlanta's uh, highly musical goalkeeper Pierluigi Gollini, by night known as Glorious, check out his work on on YouTube, uh, may not be available for the absolutely huge and massive clash with Paris Saint-Germain that we're all looking forward to so much. That's on the 12th of August. He's not the only one either because uh, Ilicic, as we previously mentioned, uh, won't be there. And now apparently it looks like uh, Marco Verratti of Paris Saint-Germain, a player with his own checkered injury history, will also be paying forfeit. Yeah, and also uh, Mbappe involved in a race against time um, to get fit again after the injury he suffered in the uh, Coupe de France final against Saint-Étienne. But um, 
I don't think Golini is too big a loss for Atalanta because um, they have got Marco Sportiello, who's a fairly good goalkeeper, has done pretty well when he's been called upon this this season. But um, yeah, a bit of a blow for PSG to lose Verratti. And unfortunately, this has been a theme throughout his career. He's often missed, certainly for his country, uh, major tournaments through injuries. He's missed big games through injuries as well. Um, yeah, it's a shame, really, that... Um, his body is in some respects fragile. He just seems to pull up. Um, and uh, someone I love watching and someone who would have been there to control the midfield in a very kind of busy environment with Atalanta getting um, up and in PSG's face because that's what they'll do. They need players like Ferrati, who as our dear friend Raphael Honigstein likes to say in the most German fashion possible, players who are press resistant, um, yeah, who can beat the press. Um, so missing a player like that will be a blow. Well, uh, the game coming up on the 12th of August, so uh, we'll be looking at that in more focus as the days progress. Quick word on Man City Real. We see that uh, Gareth Bale's NFI'd uh, Alvaro. How are Real ahead of that game? What, what do you think of their prospects briefly? Well, I think it's going to be difficult for them because they have to come back from a terrible score. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the only doubt is whether Eden Hazard is going to be 100%, which doesn't seem like. And in which case, will Zinedine Zidane play Eden Hazard to the 80% of his capabilities? Or will he play Vinicius Jr., for example, a player who on the left has been a spectacular this season? And yeah, let's don't forget that one of the best scorers of Real Madrid, Sergio Ramos, won't be there, which is a terrible... Um, absentee for Real Madrid because Eder Militao, a player with little experience, would be pairing up in the centre-half uh, position with uh, Rafael Barán. So I think that is quite complicated for Real Madrid this time to, to come back. That game coming up on Friday. On Thursday, there's more Europa League action. And we're going to be talking about that very shortly. Uh, we'll be touching on Wolves, the very interesting-looking Sevilla-Roma game, and also the team who, 32 years ago, gave us one of this competition's greatest ever finals, Bayer Leverkusen. You're listening to the Totally Summer Special by the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. 1988. The continent was banging to the sound of Johnny Hates Jazz. English clubs were still serving their post-Heisel European ban. The Europa League was still called the UEFA Cup. And Bayer, the team they call Neverkusen, were facing Espanyol in the UEFA Cup final. Espanyol, managed by Javier Clemente, had already knocked out both Trapattoni's Inter and Arrigo Sacchi's Milan. Bayer had put out Espanyol's little-known neighbours, Barcelona, but their next trip to Catalonia for this two-legged final wasn't to go as expected. Espanyol with a 3-0 win with one hand already on the cup. The second leg in Germany saw a potential Bayer comeback goal disallowed after the ball was headed out of goalkeeper Thomas Kono's hands by Bayer's Brazilian star Cheetah. That's his name. So at halftime, they still trailed 3-0. Cue one of the competition's great comebacks. Falco Götz! Und Zoll. Und Tor! Ich werde verrückt! Schabum! 
One, two, three goals to take it extra time with Cheetah leading the comeback before Bayer took it on penalties. <laughs> never say never Kuzan again. Bayer have won precisely one Pokal since then, but been runners-up five times in the league, three times in the German Cup and once in the Champions League to that goal in Glasgow. Shattered dreams indeed. Were your dreams shattered that night, Alvaro, uh, when uh, Bayer Leverkusen came back? Uh, I felt very sorry for Javier Clemente, uh, but Espanol uh, obviously uh, never recovered historically from that, I believe. They've been talking about that for years and years and years. Uh, Javier Clemente just revamped that Espanol the season before finished third and uh, he came to the club after winning back-to-back titles, league titles with Athletic de Bilbao. So Espanol had probably the best Spanish manager uh, at the time. But Javier Clemente was delivering... Uh, Basically, he took the team to the final, it uh, was all ready to be won, and uh, they collapsed in the second half of the second leg uh, with uh, big mistakes by Encono first, in first place and then by Leverkusen just yes, ran the show. But somehow they managed to get to the penalties. And there is a very nice anecdote because Javier Clemente didn't even prepare the penalties for that day. And uh, when he came to the penalty shootout, he asked one of his star strikers, Losada, do you dare to take one? And the player asked him, what should I do? And Clemente said, just smash the ball, man. I mean, smash the ball. Don't care about anything else. And Losada just hit it so hard that he took it, according to Clemente's version, out of the ground. So Espanol ended up losing that final. And, uh, and yeah, it was a really sad story because they lost another final later in 2006 mm. when uh, they lost the final against Sevilla, I believe. And 32 years on, they're now down in Segunda. Bayer, of course, are in this competition again this year. They're uh, facing Rangers in the last 16 on Thursday evening. 3-1 up from the first leg in Glasgow. But then again, as they more than anybody must know, that is a, a dangerous scoreline after just one leg. Leverkusen, I do read, are the third favourites to win this Europa League behind Man United and Inter. Hmm. Interesting stuff. Of course, they have that man Kai Havertz, if you fancy a look at a player that everybody's raving about, particularly the transfer folks at Chelsea. Tune into that. Elsewhere in Thursday's action, Basel will be taking on Frankfurt and Wolves are up against Olympiacos, a massively delicately poised game because it was 1-1 in the first leg. Meantime, there's a one-off tie in Germany, in Duisburg, as Roma take on Sevilla. Wow. James, what kind of Roma are you anticipating in this game here? Well, a good Roma because they finished the season very strong uh, in Serie A. They won seven of their last eight games. Um, they changed uh, system to play with the back three um, to be a little bit more solid at the back. There'll obviously be no Chris Smalling because uh, Smalling caught a Ryanair flight. I'm presuming from either Fiumicino or, or, or Ciampino. I think Ryanair fly from Ciampino if memory serves. Um, because his his loan um, has expired and because Roma, literally as we speak, are in advanced talks about the takeover of the club, um, they they could not essentially sign him on a permanent basis. Um, but going back to that defence, it's being a lot more solid, but they're still very attacking. And uh, Paolo Fonseca, the coach, I think has had a very good first season, even if they didn't finish in the Champions League saying tonight that Nicolo Zaniolo will start and Zaniolo has been excellent 
um, since his comeback from that ACL tear, which he suffered in January, really doesn't look to have affected him. And that's exciting. But of course, there's a lot of beef between Roma and Sevilla. Um, no love lost between at least Roma's uh, hierarchy and, and Monchi for the state in which they believe he left them in um, after they got to the Champions League semi-final a couple of years ago. So I think this should be a great game. I'm curious to hear what uh, Alvaro makes of Sevilla's chances because I think they also finished the season pretty pretty well as well. Right, 17-game unbeaten run, no? Alvaro to finish off the campaign. Yeah, they didn't lose any games since the lockdown and uh, I am a little bit surprised that... Uh, the odds are better for Bayer Leverkusen than for Sevilla, to be honest. But anyway, who am I to question that? I think that uh, Sevilla had the unusual preparations for this game, unfortunately for them, because uh, Nemanja Gudelg, uh, one of their players, tested positive for COVID-19. So Sevilla couldn't play or couldn't train collectively till the 2nd of August. They've been doing individual training, so they couldn't prepare this game specifically very well, or as well as Junep Lopetegui would have wanted. All that said, um, they are a very good team. Uh, Lucas Ocampos has been sensational this season with 16 goals, uh, but he's yet to score in the Europa League, so maybe this is like a booster for him. And uh, generally speaking, Sevilla knows what they are doing. They play pretty much every player has memorized what uh, Lopetegui wants, and uh, there is a very good synchronization of the movements they are doing, uh, and I believe that uh, they are a team with a big chance of uh, winning Europa League, and maybe the only shame for them is the fact that uh, the games are going to be single ties, because I believe that this Sevilla is a team that cooks you slowly, if I may, and uh, little by little they manage to do you. And uh, when the game goes to 90 minutes, perhaps you cannot really show your superiority as well as you could show it in 180 minutes. All that said, and I haven't watched Roma enough, I believe that Sevilla is a very good team and a very dangerous one in this tire. Nobody's won the Europa League or UEFA Cup more often than Sevilla. Three times in a row, 14, 15, 16, also back in 06 and 07. What do you think? Are you tipping them for a sixth title in this competition? I think it's going to be difficult, but um, I would say that uh, Manchester United and uh, Inter Milan look slightly more convincing because they've got better players up front. And since this Europa League is going to be decided by details, I believe, rather than a strategy, uh, because the games are going to be, or the tires are going to be only 90 minutes, I will go for the teams that have better players. And I believe that Man United and uh, Inter Milan have better players than Sevilla. Winner of this clash on Thursday will be playing Wolves or Olympiacos in the quarterfinals. Uh, next week, uh, which, as I mentioned, in- incredibly delicately poised the uh, situation between those two after the 1-1 in Perez. We'll be talking about that game in a moment or two. James, just a quick word, though, on uh, the subject you mentioned briefly there, the Roma takeover. That could be happening this weekend. Yeah, could uh, could happen by the time we finish this podcast. Uh, everything's there uh, for it to be completed. Um, they just need the final signatures to be made, um, which... Uh, is not an insignificant uh, hurdle to, to to leap because ultimately this will depend on Roma's current owner, James Pelotta, uh, agreeing to the price, uh, the valuation that uh, this freaking group from, from Texas has placed. That's, well, that, been the main that's the name. That's not just your description or anything. <laughs> but that's been the major bone of contention. Uh, not just in the last week, but really over the last three or four months, because this takeover was practically done. It was a casualty, if you like, of the 
of the pandemic in that um, uh, it was going to go through in normal circumstances. Then COVID happened, the valuation of the club changed. The freaking group who are looking to buy the club basically said, actually, it's no longer worth what it was. So this is our valuation now. And we've got to this stage where, to be honest, it does look like it's going to happen. So um, very interesting. And we'll have to see whether they come back in for Chris Smalling in the event that there is a takeover. All right. Will it be freaking in or or freaking out? We'll we'll find out in the next (laughs) few days. More to come shortly, listener, as we look forward to Wolves' attempts to get into the quarterfinals. Before that, though, here's Lee Price. Thank you. Hello. Yes, I, for one, am delighted the Europa League is back. It's a handy way of letting me know what day it is. Thursday, usually, although, of course, it doesn't quite work for the Man United game, but we'll skim past that. Two of the Thursday night games look dull and dusted, but the other two are on the knife edge. Wolves got that away goal in the first leg. They have the home advantage in this leg, and they are 8-11 to to win this match. Olympiacos are 7-2 to beat Wolves, or another draw is 5-2. to While Sevilla versus Roma, of course, is a one-leg shootout, and we make the Spaniards the favourites there. They're even money to win the match, with Roma priced at 5-2. to And a quick mention of Rangers, as it's probably the last time they will be mentioned in relation to this Europa League season. They're 4-1 to to beat by Leverkusen, but they need to score at least three times, of course, which is priced at 10-1. to The chances of them going through, therefore, are even more remote. Ouch. Still, at least they've got the Scottish Premiership, right? You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Wolves and Olympiacos are going at it on Thursday evening. What are the prospects for Nuno Espirito Santo's side of going through? How dangerous are the Arsenal beating Olympiacos? To find out a little more, let's hear from Tim Spears from The Athletic. Tim, five months on from the 1-1 draw in Piraeus, we, we finally get the second leg. How are Wolves looking ahead of this? Well, I mean, they've, they've finished seventh, uh, which, which I think everybody would have taken at the, the start of the season. Um, but they did they did slip away a bit in the final weeks of the Premier League campaign. You know, they only won two of their last six. I think they were seven points ahead of Spurs at one point and ended up finishing behind them. And obviously, with Arsenal winning the Cup, Wolves are not in Europe next season as it stands. So it's a bit of a disappointment, really. After three years of incredible highs, it's it's a rare blip for them to finish seventh, which which just sounds silly, really, when you when you're talking about Wolves. But hey, these are the these are the standards they've set. So. They look tired to me, um, and I don't blame them because they've played 57 uh, matches this season already. They've had this great run in the Europa League, been all over the place, Armenia, Italy, Turkey, Greece. Uh, I did some number crunching the other day. They've they've tossed up 20,000 miles in the air, and they've done it all with the smallest squad in the league. So, you know, that's great, and that's what Nuno wants, a smaller squad, but obviously it's going to have some kind of impact on physical and mental fatigue and yeah they just looked a little bit tired towards towards the end of the season but they've you know 10 days in between games they've had four days off so hopefully they'll be refreshed and obviously well up for what could be the last four games of the season with the motivation levels very high and there's a, there's a European trophy at stake. As you mentioned it's been a terrific run in in the competition and a valuable away goal in, in Perez. Raul Jimenez has been pretty key is there much word about his future is it is there much substance to all the talk of him being lured away? There is general uh, befuddlement in the corridors at Molyneux as, as to all this kind of white noise that's 
emanating around the Twitter sphere as you know Jimenez set to leave any day now. For a start, they've they've got this little thing called the Europa League to finish first. I mean, he's not going anywhere yet. Um, these links with Man United just seem very far fetched to me. I've tried to stand them up, and I can't find any substance in them. I think it'd be a strange move for Man United to spend 60, 70 million on a 29-year-old striker, you know, when they're after Jaden Sancho and maybe Grealish and they've already got a fantastic forward line. So um, if the off comes in that Wolves accepts for a club like Juventus, you know, for example, who've been linked with him, then of course he'd go. But otherwise, he's he's very happy. Um, you know, he, he painted a picture of a wolf head on his pregnant partner's belly uh, a few weeks ago. Uh you don't do that if you're itching for a move. I know, I know it's not as black and white as that, but he is he is happy at Wolves and he's settled and he likes it here. And uh, the same goes for a lot of them. And they've developed, you know, a real tight community, the the Portuguese and, and, and Spanish and Mexican lads that they've got here. So he is happy. Um, and as far as I'm aware, Wolves haven't had the offer that, that, that would be enough money to, to take him away from the club. So um, this is going to go on for the next few weeks with quite a few of their players and possibly Nuno as well, which comes with the success that they've had. But as far as I know, he's at the moment he's going nowhere. Well, Olympiacos is the opposition. Of course, they're the team who sprung that huge surprise on Arsenal earlier on in this competition. Yes, as a Greek journalist told me the other day, do not forget that. And uh, and they drew at Spurs as well in the Champions League earlier in the campaign. And they're Greek champions. They're by far the best team that Wolves have played so far, you know. Wolves haven't coasted through this competition, but but they've they've been fine and they haven't had too many alarms. And Olympiacos, which says a bit about the standard of the competition, are, you know, by far the best team that they've played so far. And yeah, it won't be easy. You know, they only got a one-all draw way back in March uh, against ten men as well. Um, Wolves really struggled that day. They didn't want to go to Athens. Um, if people remember, that's just when coronavirus was really kicking off, and football basically stopped a day after that tie. And the Olympiacos owner, Marinakis, had contracted coronavirus. Wolves just didn't want to go. They didn't feel safe, I would have thought, um, travelling to that stadium at that time. And it was the first behind-closed-doors game that they had. They really struggled with their energy and their intensity and their tempo. So I'm not sure you could read too much into that game. Um, but yeah, Olympiacos certainly got a few dangerous players. I think Al Arabi up front has got 27 goals this season and... Mathieu Valbuena is obviously a very experienced French international and, and Kamara is a very good midfielder for them as well. So, But no, come on, if, if they want to win this competition, then yeah, they should be looking to 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 win fairly comfortably ahead of what would be a, a huge quarterfinal against uh, Sevilla or, or Roma. Right, first time in Europe in 39 years. Wow. Could it end in glory? Well, when when uh, when lockdown ended, uh, there was talk of Champions League football and I I thought the Europa League was always Wolves' most likely route to that, you know, given the, the tough competition for finishing in top four in the Premier League. I just wonder if if the one-game format in a neutral country just might be a bit of a leveller. But honestly, when these guys walk onto the field, they genuinely believe they can beat anybody and they are fearless. And, you know, they've, they have beaten everybody in England over the past couple of years. You know, they've, they've beaten, a, albeit a weakened Liverpool team in the Cup, They've beat Man City a couple of times. They've beat Spurs a couple of times. They've beat Arsenal. They've beat Man United. They can do it on their day. They've got the star power up front to trouble any team. Traore, Jota, Jimenez. And they've got a very, very good defence. So, yeah, sure, you know, why not? Tim Spears from The Athletic. Wow. Olympiakos, of course, newly crowned Greek champions. 
And uh, well, you're there in Greece at the moment, Alvaro. What's what's the mood? Is the, is the is the country agog ahead of this last 16 Europa League clash? I tell you what, I've been in Thessaloniki, and uh, since they hate Olympiacos so much, there is nothing about them. There is there are no oh. kids, no colors of Olympiacos, no talks about the Europa League, nothing at all. Okay, Alvaro, have you not <laughs> thought about walking around in a in Olympiacos shirt just just for the hell of it? Yeah, I could walk with my Athletic de Bilbao shirt, and some people will <laughs> may mistaken me with an Olympiacos fan, and then mm. yeah, I may end up in the Mediterranean Sea. All right, well, there are worse things, Alvaro. For now, many thanks, guys, for being with us and to Laurie and Tim for their contributions as well. And, of course, you listener as well. We'll catch up with you in 24 hours. See you then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.